different messages is actually called Noah's Ark and Dinosaurs. So tonight I wanted to uh, take a few minutes and talk a little bit about what the original creation might have been like so we can start thinking about how awesome heaven's going to be. And, and I want to talk about Noah's Ark, which was God's plan of salvation from the first global judgment and how that ties into the second plan of salvation from the coming global judgment, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, there was the first ark, and then there was Jesus, who literally is like a second ark for us. But, so tonight I want to talk about Noah's Ark a bit as well. And tomorrow night we're going to talk about dinosaurs, of all things, because that is one of the pillars of old earth beliefs, dinosaurs. And what's the first line you read to kids in a dinosaur book? 65 million years ago, and you've just put death and suffering before Adam in those kids' minds. It's, it's very subtle, but it's very damaging. But we'll... We'll cover dinosaurs tomorrow, and then tonight after dinner, I'm going to present our message. It's called An Old Earth or a Global Flood, and in that, I'm going to show you where the old earth beliefs come from, how they derive the old earth beliefs. See, everyone thinks there's some scientific method to date the earth. There is no scientific method to date the earth. You have to have faith in your belief. I'm going to show you where the old earth beliefs are derived from. Then you'll understand why a global flood would wipe out every old earth belief. And then I'm going to show you overwhelming evidence of the global flood. But right now, let's talk a little bit about, well, the original creation and Noah's Ark. You know, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All Scripture. Well, that means word for word and cover to cover, right? It actually makes being a believer really easy to, to be. All you do is you read God's Word, and you put your faith in the Word of God. Word for word, cover to cover. Should be real easy, but Satan and his minions have a lot of stumbling blocks thrown out there, don't they? To try to trip you up and try to make you think, well, we can't believe this because that's not scientific. But I'm going to show you tonight in the second session after dinner that real science actually supports exactly what God's Word says. You know, Jesus said that, that Moses wrote of me. So do you think it was important to Jesus what Moses had to, to write? Exactly. Moses wrote of me through the inspiration of God. Now, interesting enough, on the, on the Resurrection Sunday... And Jesus approaches the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They've given up on Jesus. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They've heard he's risen, but they're walking away. They don't think it's even possible. Well, Jesus approaches them, and who does he start teaching them with on the day of his resurrection? He starts teaching them from Moses. Moses wrote of Jesus. Moses wrote of me. So it's important what Moses had to say. Well, one of the things Moses tells us is that God judged man's sin once already with a flood of waters that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. And we're going to talk about that tonight after dinner in our old earth or global flood message. But right now I want to talk about the original creation. Now we're going to have to speculate a little bit here because the original creation, it was destroyed during the global flood. It's no longer here. The world that we live in today is the post-fall, post-curse, post-flood world. The original creation, we can assume, was way beyond the world we live in today. I mean, where you guys live, this is, is gorgeous here. 
but this is the junkyard compared to God's original creation. Now, we can only speculate, but there are a lot of people that think the original creation may have had hyperbaric and greenhouse effects. Now, we're going to speculate about the original creation for one reason. I want us just to start thinking about how awesome heaven's going to be. You see, the Bible indicates heaven is going to be, think about this, beyond human comprehension. It's beyond anything we can even imagine. In other words, if I threw out a big chalkboard and we start throwing out ideas about how awesome heaven's going to be, the Bible says, forget it. It's beyond what you can even possibly imagine. Now, just as a, as a possibility, we operate in three dimensions. Science thinks there could be as many as ten dimensions. There might be trillions of dimensions in heaven. I mean, it's going to be beyond our comprehension, but we have eternity to check it out, and we don't want to miss it, right? And we don't want anyone else to miss it either. Well, let's just talk about these possibilities. A hyperbaric and a greenhouse effect has possibilities in the original creation. Now, this is a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. They're used in hospitals around the globe because by greatly increasing oxygen pressure, they greatly reduce the amount of time it takes to heal up from injuries and surgeries. So many, in fact, most hospitals today, major hospitals, have hyperbaric chambers. In fact, many professional sports teams have hyperbaric chambers to help heal up injuries more quickly. Well, is there any evidence that would support greater oxygen content around the globe in the past? Well, this is petrified tree sap, amber. And um, have you ever seen the movie Jurassic Park? They supposedly revived uh, some DNA found in a mosquito system and recreated dinosaurs. Well, that, that's certainly fantasy there. But in amber, they do find trapped bubbles or pockets of air. And scientific studies on those pockets of air indicate that the Earth may have had 35 to 50 percent greater oxygen content in the atmosphere in the past. So that would support a hyperbaric type effect. You know, in that type of an environment, you could run for a few hundred miles and you wouldn't even get tired. You'd have so much oxygen inside of you. I think that's the reason Adam and Eve didn't have to have cars. They could just run to their grandparents' house. Well, except they didn't have any grandparents. Well, what about the greenhouse effect, though? Some people think you would have had spring-like temperatures every day of the year. Well, you guys have seen how plants grow in the springtime, right? It would have been spring every day in a greenhouse effect. In other words, you had had warm temperatures from the North Pole to the South Pole every day. Well, how in the world could you have warm temperatures on the poles and all around the world? I mean, you'd had to have a completely different world than what we live in today. Is there any evidence to back up warm temperatures around the globe? Well, in the last few years, they found dinosaur fossils on Antarctica. Well, large dinosaurs needed hundreds of pounds of fresh vegetation every day to eat in order to stay alive. So that would certainly back up that possibility. This from New Geology. Coal layers in the Arctic Circle uniformly testify that a warm climate has, in former times, prevailed over the whole globe. Wow! At one time in the past, the world was very different than the post-fall, post-curse, post-flood world that we live in today. In fact, the Bible indicates that prior to the flood, 
and this was after the fall of man, after the death curse entered the creation, humans still lived on average more than 900 years. Now, I'm going to step on some toes here, and I'm going to do it for a good reason. If you read God's Word and you don't accept what it says, if you're skeptical about what His Word says, guess what that makes you? Well, a skeptic. It makes you a skeptic. So, for instance, the skeptic's going to look at this and say, well, that means 912 months, not 912 years. You know, if you just read God's Word and believe it, you put your faith in the Word of God, it's really easy to be a believer. Now, if you start changing things to fit with secular beliefs, it gets very confusing. Let's say uh, a day is supposed to be billions of years, and a year is a month, and pretty much you don't know what you believe. In fact, you're making up your own theology. So if you've been skeptical about some of these things, now you know that's, that makes you a skeptic. So, hey, just ask God to forgive you. He will, and just read God's Word and put your faith in the Word of God. And we're going to cover the age of the earth issues tonight all the same. You know, if each year is a month, it messes things up because the Bible is so intricately intertwined. It's one of the great proofs it's God's inspired Word. You know, Enoch beget Methuselah when he was 65. Now, if each year is a month, he wasn't even five and a half years old when he begat Methuselah. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, you know, we're also told that God stretched out the earth above the waters in the original creation, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. See, it didn't have to rain upon the earth in the original creation because of these great underground watering chambers, the fountains of the deep. So there went up a mist from the earth, and water the whole face of the ground. So the original creation had this tremendous underground watering system. So why would God destroy his awesome creation that had a great underground watering system and could have possibly had a hyperbaric effect in spring-like temperatures and lush forests growing all across the land masses of the globe? Why did God destroy that perfect world? Well, we're told, again, by Moses, through the inspiration of God, that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and the Lord said, I will destroy man. And in Second Peter, we're told, He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So there were eight people on Noah's ark. Noah, his wife, three sons, and three daughter-in-laws. Eight people were on Noah's ark. Now, had there been a flood, a global flood, shouldn't there be some flood legends floating about the world? Did you know that more than 300 ancient legends have been identified? Almost every ancient civilization starts out with some sort of an account of a few people surviving a flood and repopulating the world. Now, they're not all exactly like the biblical account, but what happened was at the Tower of Babel, a few hundred years after the flood, God confused languages because people refused to spread out, and people were forced to spread out around the globe. Now, they could do that at the time because the ice caps hadn't melted yet to fill in the oceans, and I'll talk about that uh, in the Old Earth Global Flood message tonight. I'll explain that. But people could spread out around the globe, and then the melting ice caps filled in the oceans, and people were separated, and they had the original account of, the, of Noah's Ark and the flood, but they handed it down generation to generation, 
and over a few thousand years, changes got caught up in some of them. It'd be like if I whispered in, in uh, one person's ear and it came around the room, by the time it gets back to me, there's going to be changes to it, right? Well, that's what happened with these other flood accounts. But if you want to see the original account, it's right there in the book of Genesis. You can read it any time that you'd like. Well, I guess a fair question would be, how did Noah collect all those animals from all over the globe? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. If God came to us right now, and there's a lot more than eight of us here, and told us we had 120 years to collect all the animals from all over the world, and we have airplanes and jet boats and, and trucks today, you know, I don't think we could do it. So how did Noah and his family collect all the animals from all over the globe? Well, they didn't collect any animals. God had the animals come to them. Two of every sort, seven of the clean types. God brought the animals to Noah. They didn't have to spend any time collecting them. Okay, well, how did Noah and his family fit those millions of animals on board the ark? Well, let's get a feel for maybe about how many animals were on that ark with Noah and his family. See, the Bible indicates he only had to bring land-dwelling creatures that breathe through their nostrils and some birds. So, you know, Noah and his family, they didn't have to get fish on the ark, did they? No. They didn't have to get water-dwelling mammals like porpoises, whales, dolphins, etc., because they didn't live on the land and breathe through their nostrils, did they? He didn't have to bring amphibians, etc., on the ark. Insects didn't have to be brought onto the ark because they breathe through spiracles in their skin. Some may have hitchhiked in on an elephant or something, but he didn't have to bring those on the ark. So that gets rid of all sorts of supposed problems. But the most important uh, matter in this is simply this phrase. He only had to bring two of every kind not two of every variety of animals. Let me try to explain this. You see, for the last 50 years, our public schools and colleges have taught unsuspecting kids that Earth formed four and a half billion years ago, and it started out as a hot ball of rock. Now, since science is knowledge derived from the study of observable, repeatable evidence, let me ask you, who saw the Earth form four and a half billion years ago? Who saw it start out as a big ball of hot rock? And who saw oceans form on the rock as it rained on it for millions of years? Who saw any of that? That's a 100% religious belief. There is nothing scientific about that. You can believe it if you want, but it's a belief. You know, I used to be a theistic evolutionist. That, I mean, I, went, I have 174 college credits. I mean, all your taught's millions of years leading to Darwinism, so I tried to figure out, well, God must have used millions of years in Darwinism. Didn't realize I was putting death before Adam and undermining the gospel by doing that. But today, I look at an evolutionist, and I run into a lot of scoffers, and they'll come up to me and they'll say, oh, so you're, you think your invisible God created the world. I just look them right back in the eye and say, hey, you think we evolved from a wet rock. Yeah, think about that. And, and I'll tell you, it takes the wind right out of their sails. Here's exactly what, how they react. Uh, no, we don't. You're trying to belittle our position. Oh, wait, wait. No, no. I'm just trying to get you to think about what you're believing. You believe nothing blew up the Big Bang, right? Yeah. I don't get into which Big Bang. We're on our fourth one. It's been debunked. 
but I don't get into which one. I said, so you believe that, that nothing blew up, and billions of years later, this big rock formed. That's the earth today, and it rained on the rock for millions of years, right? Yeah. Okay, so you're sitting there with this sterile, wet rock. No life whatsoever on it. Where did we come from? And they go, huh, I do think we evolved from a wet rock. I said, okay. You need, see, we need to get people thinking because they've just been indoctrinated. They don't think about what they're believing. But anyways, this is what is taught in school as if it were science today, that we evolved from a wet rock. Well, the Bible says, for in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the seas, and all that in them is. Now, do you think this is really important to God? This is in the middle of the Ten Commandments, etched into stone by God's very own finger. Why in the short Ten Commandments would God take the time to reiterate he created everything in six days, resting on the seventh? Oh, I think he knew this would be Satan's major point of attack on his word in the latter days. That's why. Now, ten times in the book of Genesis, we're told that plants and animals will bring forth after their kind. I'll explain this more tomorrow night when we destroy the fairy tale of Darwinism. But see, Noah didn't have to take all 350 types of dogs that we have today on board the ark. He probably had brought just two two dogs that had the full canine gene pool in them. And they brought forth dogs after their kind, dogs producing dogs after they got off the ark, leading to the 350 types of dogs that we have today. You know, you can actually scientifically uh, test, study, and observe this. I was speaking at a college a few years ago, and a professor raised his hand and said, so Mr. Miller, you're teaching my college-educated students that all 350 types of dogs on earth today came from two dogs off of Noah's Ark? I said, get serious, Mr. Miller. We're scientists here. So, said, well, gee, professor, you're teaching your college-educated scientists that all 350 types of dogs on earth today came from a wet rock. I think it's a lot more possible they came from two dogs, you want to bet? I tell you what, we'll, we'll do an experiment. This side of the room will go down to the pound and pick out two dogs, a male and a female. Mutts work the best, they have the widest gene pool. And you start breeding dogs together for the next 10 years. Now this side of the room, you can have all the wet rocks in the world that you want. <laughs> and they don't even have to be sterile. In fact, they can have anything in the world on them except dogs. You can have giraffes, pine trees, pumpkins, eagles, whatever. And I'll come back in 10 years, we'll see who has the most dogs. Who do you think is going to have dogs? How many dogs are the rock folks going to have? Exactly. And Darwinism doesn't make any sense. But kinds bring forth after their kind. There's probably about 30 or 40 examples right there. And that's biblically correct, by the way. And I'm going to explain this and cover this tomorrow night after dinner when we do our 50 facts versus Darwinism in the textbooks. And I'll we'll show you fraud after fraud that every one of you has been taught when you were in school and I'll show you where the frauds are and it just takes a second and we'll just go through them and I'll tell you this teaching caused one college to launch an accredited course attacking me and biblical creation which they ran for at least four years I don't know if they still run it or not and I uh, point out Darwinism I take the top 10 Darwinian beliefs as well as the top 10 older beliefs and reinterpret them through a biblical view in my book it's about time 
But let's get back to Noah's Ark. About how many animals were on that ark with Noah and his family? Well, there are about 2 million classified species today, but only about 40,000 are vertebrates. You know, if you take out the marine creatures, the amphibians who would not have been on the ark, and the water-dwelling mammals who were not on the ark, well, you're left with about 6,000 kinds of animals. Two of each kind would be 12,000. Throw in seven of the clean types, and you've got about 13,000 animals on board the ark. And the average size of a land dweller that breathes through his nostrils is the size of a house cat. So the question becomes, how did Noah and his family get about 13,000 house cat-sized creatures on board the ark? Well, the few really large types, like elephants, giraffes, oh, the few large dinosaurs, you know, God would have brought younger ones. They were smaller, they weighed less, they lived longer to reproduce when they got off the ark. Am I saying that dinosaurs were on Noah's ark with Noah and his family just a few thousand years ago? Absolutely. Two of every sort shall come unto thee. You know, there were only about 50 kinds of dinosaurs. You know what the average size of a dinosaur was? About the size of a small pony. There were some that were smaller than chickens. And of the few, handful of really big ones, like the seropods, he only had to bring two. He probably brought, brought young ones. I would guess that the largest animal on the ark was the size of an Indian elephant, and it was probably a, ser a young seropod. Because keep in mind, man and beast were both made on day six. That means man and dinosaur lived together. Yet the first line that we read to our kids in a dinosaur book, 65 million years ago, dinosaurs went extinct. The very first line. You've got to realize, time is the sacralist magic ingredient. You've, you know, 65 million years ago, let me ask you a question. Who saw dinosaurs go extinct 65 million years ago? How about 10,000 years ago? Nobody. This is a religious belief. It's all based on the strata formation. I'll talk about this after dinner tonight. But see, once you've taught that child, your, your child or your grandchild, that Dinosaurs have been living and dying for hundreds of millions of years before man. Well, later on, you try to tell that same child that by one man, sin entered the world and death because of man's sin. And they're going, wait a minute, Dad, wait a minute, Grandma, you've been reading me books telling me death and suffering existed for hundreds of millions of years before man came along. You see the stumbling block that's being thrown down? So how in the world do dinosaurs fit into the biblical creation? Well, we'll talk about this tomorrow night at this time. And I cover this in my uh, coloring book, Noah's Ark and Dinosaurs, which, believe it or not, is actually to try to get this information into parents' heads. Because I explain the perfect creation, the corruption, the separation, the need for redemption, the first judgment, with, and in that first judgment from that flood, God gave us that narrow plankway that led through that one door into the ark, God's plan of salvation. One door, God's door. Nobody else's door would work. It was God's one way. And, you know, today he's given us one way. It's not my way. It's not your way. It's not that guy's way over there. It's God's way, and that one way is a narrow pathway which many will seek, but few will find, because most will choose to take the broad path that leads to destruction. The narrow pathway is to believe God's word. That's like our roadmap, and follow his word. And that one door is Jesus Christ. 
That's the only way to salvation. God gave us one way, and he's going to let us choose what we want to believe. So how big was that ark? Well, it was 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and three stories tall. So what in the world was a cubit? Well, today we say 18 inches, but they didn't have rulers in. It was the tip of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. Well, my cubit is 20 inches long. If you used my cubit, the ark would have been 500 feet long, 85 feet wide, and three levels tall. Oh, there was lots of room on the ark. And I think God made a lot of extra room because, you know, keep in mind, God knew who was going to accept salvation, but everybody was invited. Anyone could have gotten on that ark and taken that one narrow plankway through that one door into God's plan of salvation. Some people say, well, humans didn't have the technology to build such big boats. Well, here's a Roman ship built in 100 B.C. There's a man circled in red down below. We had the technology to build big boats. From 300 B.C., the Greeks had a warship that was over 500 feet long, eight levels tall, and contained over 1,600 oarmen. That's a big ship. And keep in mind, God told Noah how to build the ark. And God told Noah what to build it from. So in Hebrews 11, we're told that by faith, God warned Noah of things not seen as yet. Keep in mind, he lived in a world where it probably hadn't even rained. And God told him to give up his, his careers and hobbies and spend the rest of his life, 120 plus years, building this ark. Well, Noah moved with fear. That means with respect to the word of God and prepared the ark to the saving of his house, and became the heir of righteousness, which is by what? Faith. We're supposed to have what? Faith. Faith in the word of God. Put your faith in the word of God. And the Lord said to Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. And they went in as God had commanded them, and God shut the door to that ark. And when the door of that ark shut, it was too late for everybody else. Up until that very moment, anyone could have walked up that narrow plankway through that one door into God's plan of salvation. But only eight people put their faith in the pure word of God. And only eight people entered into that plan. And once he shut that door, the flood burst forth as the fountains of the deep erupted and the flood was upon the earth. Most people seem to think the flood water came from above. Some did, but most of it came from below when the fountains of the deep erupted. And we'll talk about that again after dinner. Jesus tells us that before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying right up until the day Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until a flood came and took them all away. Jesus warns, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus is saying right before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, having parties, ignoring the word of God, scoffing probably at believers and Noah and his family, right up until the flood came and took them away. And he says right before his turn, the world is going to be like the days of Noah, eating, drinking, marrying, going to football games, having tailgate parties, talking about the baseball score, ignoring the word of God, scoffing at believers, and that's when Jesus is going to return. And it's going to be too late to accept 
Jesus once he returns. The time to put your faith in the word of God is, is now, not don't think it's going to be a year from now or 20 years from now. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. It could be tonight. It could be 100 years from now. We don't know, but it's going to be in days that are like the days of Noah. And the calling of this ministry is to teach folks about the creation, evolution, and age of the earth issues and wake them up to what's going on, to expose false anti-biblical teachings in order to provide a reason for the hope that's in the heart of all true believers and all true seekers. Tonight at 6.30, we're going to cover the age of the earth. This is the biggest attack on the Word of God today by subtly putting death before Adam and getting people in the church to think it's perfectly okay to change God's Word. We will destroy old earth beliefs, and I'll show you why you can put your faith completely in God's Word when it comes to the age of the earth issues. And tomorrow night, we'll do one of the favorite things that I like to do, and that's to destroy the fairy tale of Darwinian evolutionism. It's the biggest fairy tale in the history of the world. It is not science, and I'll explain that, and I'll show you how to destroy it in four seconds flat scientifically tomorrow night. You can get all of our messages. You can see my wife out here on the resource table. You know, all, I've got 12 messages on our DVDs. They're broken up into uh, 17, 25-minute sessions. There's even a 73-page study guide on a CD if you want to make a Bible study or a home study out of it. But I don't copyright my DVDs. I really, I want people to get the DVDs. That helps our ministry, and you can learn the information. It's a win-win. But then I, I want you to make all the copies you want. Give them to everybody you know. And when you give it to them, say, you can make all the copies of this you want and give them to everybody you know. Because the only way we're going to get this information out is going to be at a grassroots level, me and you. That's the only way it's going to happen. The only way. You'd think the churches, the institutionalized church would help. They're losing 85% of their kids by the age of 20. No. Only about 2% of churches will let me share this information. If you go to a church that has a pastor that will share this type of information, you protect that individual, okay? They're in the minority. Because today, everyone wants to compromise to get along with everybody. And that's what's leading us toward that one world religion, which is another end-time prophecy. You know, my two coloring books, which really are for both parents and kids, is our America's Christian Heritage, which I renamed Endowed by Their Creator. We talked about this the other day, and if the foundations be destroyed, that's what this is based upon. And our Noah's Ark and Dinosaur coloring book. Don't, don't read your kids' dinosaur books that start out 65 million years ago and putting death before Adam. Get some Christian resources. And my book, It's About Time. You can see all that out, outside there. Let me end with this. From John 1, we're told, In the beginning was the Word, and all things were made by Him. So the Word of God is our Creator. Do you see that? The Creator is the Word of God. And the Word, our Creator, was made flesh and dwelt among us. So our Creator, the Word of God, is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is the Creator. But Jesus also called himself the bread of life. So Jesus is the word and he's the bread of life. But when tempted by Satan, Jesus told Satan, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. 
My friends, that means we live by believing the word of God. And that means word for word and cover to cover. And that includes the first five words of scripture, which start out, in the beginning, God created. My friends, you can believe those first five words and every word thereafter. Put your faith in the word of God. Let me end this with a word of prayer and we'll head into dinner. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening and for every dear soul that's here tonight. I just hope and I pray that the information that we've shared and we'll share later this evening will be a blessing to many and just keep us on that narrow pathway, your one plan of salvation that leads through that one door in our, into your plan of salvation, that one door being Jesus Christ. It's in his great name that I do pray. Amen.